Amen, amen. So good to be with you in the house of the Lord today. Good morning, church. Man, I'm so excited to be able to bring to you the Word of God today. You are here for week three of a series we're calling Love, Marriage, Baby Carriage. And uh, today, I want to jump right into this thought of parenting for a few moments. I want to encourage you, grab a notebook, get your Bible out, get your pens ready. I believe God wants to speak to us today from His Word. Anybody believe that? Amen. Amen. Everyone's called to love. Some of us are called to marriage. But in the same way, not every person called to marriage is called to parenting. And I recognize today, as we jump into a, a message like this, that there, there might even within the room be a collective sigh from people because we're all at different stages and places in life. And for some of you, you're empty nesters and the parenting Years are behind you. I don't want you to hear this word today and, and just sit in a, a place of condemnation for things that you should have, could have, would have done. That's not my intention today. In fact, if that's you, if you, uh, you parented and it's maybe a thing of the, the past as far as raising children, can I encourage you to share your story? Not in this moment. Don't take my mic, but this is my time. But share your story. Let your experience be a blessing to somebody else, encourage somebody else, counsel somebody else, let them learn from maybe the things that you wish you had done differently if that's the situation you find yourself. And I recognize there's other people here that uh, they can't have children. And, and a message like this is kind of like a, like a hot knife in a, in a wound. Days like Father's Day and Mother's Day, are, they hit us all differently, but can I just encourage you with this thought? One of our core values as a church is that we're better together, even in difficult situations. And so we say we celebrate, we serve, and we sorrow together. We do it together. And, and for those of you that are, that are in that place, our hearts grieve with you over that because I recognize, and maybe we could all attest to this truth, that our greatest joys in life and our deepest sorrows come in connection with our children. So we, we experience the highest heights and the lowest lows when it comes to our children. And so let me, let me just say, we, we grieve with you in that, and we pray for God's will and God's healing to come uh, in, in your heart and in your life. And, and listen, every one of us, regardless of whether you're married, unmarried, have kids, don't have kids, every one of us ought to lean in today to this word because I believe that God wants to say something to us today about the next generation. And when it comes to the next generation, regardless of what your family situation is, we all have a calling. Amen? God has a vision and a mission for your life that's bigger than your lifetime. And so we've got to be about the next generation. As parents, we need to know this. God loves your kids more than you do. He's a better father than I could ever be. And so we need to know that God blesses our kids through us, but we can also rest in knowing that God blesses our kids despite us, okay? So you have a huge part to play, but God's bigger. 
God's bigger than all of your perfection, and he's bigger than all your mistakes and failures. And what I want you to know right out of the gate today is that good parenting begins with good parents. Great parenting begins with good parents. And the best parenting begins with good parents. No, I didn't say that wrong. I meant what I said. Good parents. See, here's the reality. The best parents out there will probably never trend with their kids on TikTok. You might not have 10,000 followers on your mommy blog. You might not have a son or daughter that gets a Division I scholarship for athletics or academics. But the best parents aren't trying to be the best parents. The best parents aren't trying to outparent the Joneses. <laughs> They're not trying to live their childhood dreams vicariously through their children. Reality is you and I, we live in an impossibly unattainable, high cultural expectation. Like literally every day we wake up and we scroll through a gallery of very filtered, very edited realities of the best parenting moments of all of our friends. And then we wake up with the fallacy that that's actually the expectation of what Parenting is supposed to look like what your home is supposed to look like 24-7. And how many of you know it's impossible? We can't keep up with those expectations. And honestly, be encouraged by your pastor today. Here's my message to you. I think some of y'all are just trying way too hard. Like, you just, you're trying way too hard. Here's the reality. You can't be everything to your kids. So, so be what God's called you to be. You can't give everything to your kids. So give them what matters the most. You can't take them everywhere. I've tried. But take them to the places that matter the most. Here's my conviction today. I don't think that there's a parent in the room that doesn't care. I think we all care. I just think that too often we care too much about the wrong things and not enough about what matters most. And what matters most is how you develop the heart of a child. That's what matters most. See, parenting is about care. It's about conviction. It's about consistency. It's about cultivating some things. And, and I want to talk about those things today. And I want to begin in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can go there with me. Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. If you're a note taker, number one is this. It starts with the heart. Of course we want our kids to excel academically. Of course we want them to be first string on the ball team. Of course we want them to have uh, social 
a social life and, and fun with their friends and, and great experiences. But the question I'm digging at is, how much time do you spend caring for the condition of the soul of your child? How much time do we spend focusing on what matters the most after they've had the wildly successful professional athletic career? After they've built the law firm and made their millions? after they've become the accomplished brain surgeon, after they've done all of those things that you hoped and dreamed and cultivated, when they lay their head on their pillow at night, in the dark of night, in their really expensive family home, do they have peace in their heart about how they stand in the eyes of their maker? Do they have an assurance about their identity that they were formed and fashioned in the image of a loving God? See, Jesus dug at this question, and, and I think it's a great question for parents to, to think about because it reprioritizes the way we lead our homes. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, Jesus asked the question. He said, what good would it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What good would it be for your kid to be valedictorian of their class but forfeit their soul? What good would it be for them to have a great job experience to land that career opportunity if they forfeit their own soul? What good would it be for your child to be captain of the team if they forfeit their own soul? Over and over, he calls us to reprioritize what matters most, not to not care about those things, but to care the most about what matters the most. He goes on, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Lots of people have climbed the ladder to the top and found themselves at the pinnacle of success and asked this question. With everything that I have, what could I give to find peace in my soul? Can I just tell you what you already know to be true? You're sitting in church on Sunday morning. If they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing else matters. If our kids don't, don't have an abiding relationship with the Lord. And the key to impress these things, as Deuteronomy 6 says, impress these things on your children. The key to impressing them on their heart is having them in our heart. So it starts with the heart, but I'm not talking about the heart of your child. I'm talking about the heart of a parent. It starts with your heart. Look at verse 6 again with me in, in Deuteronomy. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Can I just make a shameless plug here? Next Sunday at our New Life Sunday, we're going to be celebrating child dedications in our services. And here's why this matters to me. I think it's important that, that child dedication is an opportunity for parents to put their heart out there. You know, baptism is about you making a profession of your own faith. We don't baptize infants. We don't baptize young children. But we ask parents to come and to dedicate their children to the Lord. It's an opportunity for you to stand up here on this platform before God and these witnesses in the family of God and say, we're going to dedicate our children to the Lord. We recognize they're a gift from God, but God, we give them back to you all the days of their life, the same way that Hannah did in 1 Samuel. She brought her child back to the house of the Lord. And, and if you've never dedicated your children to the Lord, whether they're babies or whether they just still live in your household, I want to encourage you to be a part of it. To sign up today at the info center, say it's the last Sunday, but I'm going to sign up today. I want to dedicate my children to the Lord. We're going to anoint them 
We're going to pray over them. We're going to give them a Bible. We're going to stand with you. We're going to covenant next Sunday as a church to say we believe. We believe in God's plan for your family. And parents have to set the tone with their family of saying, these things are impressed on my heart. How many of you know parenting is more about what's caught than what's taught? People do as you do. They don't do as you say. And that's why the writer says you have to have these things impressed on your heart. Let them be on your heart before you impress them on your kids. And then when they're in your heart, you allow your family to experience the relationship that you have with the Lord. They, they, they hear you pray. They, they see you trusting God. They see you when you're paying your bills, writing out your, your tithe check. They see you serving in the house of God. They see you calling on God for help and leadership. And, and all that. this is not some dogmatic list of 10 things to do to be a Christian parent. It's, it's the life flow of your life. It's liberating to say, I'm just, I'm just living out of the abundance of my relationship with God, and I'm impressing it upon my kids, because I can promise you, you're impressing something on them. And, and there's a sad verse in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Maybe, maybe one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. But Joshua and his generation had, had grown old, and Joshua died. And the Bible says in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done in Israel. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that it was, it was Joshua who saw God deliver them out of bondage in Egypt. He saw God part the Red Seas, and they crossed on dry land. For some 40 years, they lived in the desert, and manna fell from heaven. Water came out of a rock. Their clothes never wore out. Their sandals never wore thin. God supernaturally provided. And then Joshua took the helm, and God caused the walls around Jericho to crumble. And city after city, God allowed them to possess the land. How sad is it to think that when that generation died, another one came up that didn't know. What God had done for Israel, all the ground that was gained in Joshua's generation was lost for one reason, because they focused on the external things. They cared too much about possessing the land. They cared too much about harvesting the fields, building up the economy, developing their homes, taking new territory, and they didn't keep the main thing the main thing. And so while they did all these things and they handed all of this abundance and prosperity off to their children, their kids didn't care for the God who brought them there. They got the land, they lost the legacy. And how quickly it can happen when we focus on the outward things instead of the issues of the heart. It starts with the heart. And the things that are impressed on your heart will determine the impression that you make in the ground. Number two, got to plant your feet. The things that are impressed on your heart will determine the impression you make in the ground. You know what we've heard a lot of people say over the last year and a half? Take your stand. I get the question a lot, where do you stand? 
Where do you stand on this issue? Where do you stand on that issue? Everybody wants to know where everybody stands. Well, can I tell you the things that impress your heart are going to determine the impression you make in the ground. Where you take your stand. Now, my mom, I'm one of three boys. I'm the middle child, which I've heard is always the best, but it's what I've heard. (laughs) And we, we, my mom had her hands full with us three. And and she was so gracious and she was so kind, but there, there there was a point. And you knew when you got there, my mom's from Nashville, Tennessee. Or, or as she would say it, I'm Sandy Macnat from Nashville, Tennessee. And, and she, when she got fed up, we'd hear her say, all right, I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> and we knew what that meant. If she's putting her foot down, you're not pushing me any farther. You're not getting away with any more. I'm, I'm done. My belly's full. You're not doing this anymore. And we would push and we would push until she put her foot down. How many of you know kids will always push until they find the boundary, until you put your foot down? And we have to do, I've learned, even as a pastor, I mean, my heart as a pastor is to be with people in time of need. I, I want to be there in a crisis, but, but I've learned the hard way, everybody's emergency can't be my emergency. Like, everybody's crisis can't be my crisis. And it's not that I'm unloving or that I don't care. It's that I can't live my whole life in crisis mode. Like, it's not healthy. I can't do that. And it's the same for you as parents. You, you have to make decisions about what the convictions are for your family and what's the healthiest thing for your home. And you got to make decisions based on that because everybody's priorities can't be your priorities. That's where Joshua was. As he was leading the nation, he got to the end of his life. And in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, this is like his, uh, this is his swan song speech. He's going out here. And in Joshua 24, 15, he says to the nation of Israel, he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether it's the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is Joshua putting his foot down. All right, boys, I'm putting my foot down. I don't know about these people over here wanting to serve the God of the Euphrates I don't know about these folks trying to follow the gods of the Amorites, but listen to Dad. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Regardless of what anybody else chooses, this is our choice. It's what we're going to do. It's a priority of our life. I'm talking about conviction. Uh, One of my daughters this week brought a paper home, and she said, here, you need to sign this. I said, well, what is it? She said, it's an excuse form. Coach said, you got to sign this excuse form and turn it back in if you're going to miss practice next week to go to youth group. And I said, maybe I should have Pastor Chris write up an excuse form. And you could take it to your coach and tell her she needs to sign it so that you can miss youth group to go to practice. (laughs) I told her that. Now, I was just kidding. I mean, 
I, I, I get accountability in team sports. I'm, I'm an advocate for that. I think there's a lot of good we can learn from those things. But I said it to communicate to my daughter. We have a different priority list in the home. You don't ever need an excuse to go to the house of God for church. What you need is an excuse to miss church. So my priorities are different. Well-intentioned people, I thank God for their work, but I have to decide what are the convictions in my home. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Last week we were in this same text and the, the portion of scripture from chapter 5 verse 18 of Ephesians all the way to chapter 6 verse 9 is what Martin Luther called the house stoffel. I, I shared last week that it means house table. He was essentially saying this is like let's all come to the table and let's talk about what it looks like to have a Christian home. This is what it looks like in a Christian home. And in Ephesians 5, as we saw last week, he talks about husbands and wives and the relationship there. And then in chapter 6, he begins to speak about children. So Ephesians 6, verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Can I get a parental amen today? How many of you know that's not just a Christian principle? That's just a a natural principle. Like, you you ever seen a kid, like, telling their parent what to do, and you just looked at it, and you're like, that ain't right. You know what I mean? You're just like, That's, that, ain't, that ain't right. It's not right. This is right. <laughs> Children, obey your parents, for this is right. And then he goes a little farther, and he says in verse 2, honor your father and mother. Now, this is in quotes because he's quoting one of the Ten Commandments out of Exodus. And he says, which is the first command with a promise, and then he gives the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. God actually says if you honor your father and mother, life's going to go better for you. Some dads have reinterpreted that to say, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. (laughs) But God's saying it's actually going to go well for you if you learn this principle of honor in the home. Reality is obedience is for children. But we outgrow obedience. We never outgrow honor. In fact, you better outgrow obedience. Just marriage tip, if you are married, last week I talked about how the scripture says a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. (laughs) You ever want to stir up a, a good marital spat Wait till your wife tells you something and respond by saying, but my mom said. See how that goes. (laughs) No, uh, obedience has an expiration date, but honor is for a lifetime. We never stop honoring our father and our mother. And and as I said last week, we can... We can miss the flow of thought by the divisions of chapters and verses. I mean, they're helpful. I thank God for, you know, the the little uh, notes that have been added to help us study the Bible. But understand that this is one letter and that the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write many things. And so I think it's important that we recognize that right after he talks about husbands and wives and children and, and what the household looks like, he moves right into talking about spiritual warfare. 
Many of you are familiar with Ephesians 6, verse 9 through the end of the chapter. Verse 10, it says this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Skip down to verse 13, and it says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, talking about taking a stand, planting your feet, letting those things that have impressed your heart make an impression in where you find your convictions. What you care about leads to your convictions. And we saw last week that this whole section actually begins, not not where my my Bible has it sectioned out, but it actually begins, the flow of thought starts in chapter 5, verse 18. And the emphasis of the statement is, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then he explains All those around the house table are filled with the Spirit, and here's how they operate between husbands and wives, and here's how they operate between parents and and children. And then he gets to the end of that statement, and he begins to say, how? He says, the way that you take your stand is to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Listen, the Holy Spirit is available to help you lead your home, and He will help you to lead your home if you will invite him in. Here's what I've learned about the Holy Spirit. He shows up where he's celebrated, not where he's tolerated. And so it's not enough to to bring our family to God's house. What we have to do is invite God into our house and say, Lord, we welcome your presence here. We welcome your Holy Spirit. We need to plant our feet when it comes to the spiritual matters and say this is the way it is. In our home, this is the way we'll lead, as for me and my house. But can I go a little farther and say, we also need to plant our feet when it comes to the practical matters, when it comes to the rules in our home. Listen, you don't have to be the greatest parent. Just be consistent. Consistent. Proverbs 22 and verse 28 says this. It says, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. I think there's a practical application in that. See, the boundary stones, they indicated the property lines. And as, as I said earlier, in Joshua's generation, God gave them the territory. He, he allocated lands to different families. And so the, the property line drew, literally drew out the blessing of God in your family. It was what you passed on to the next generation. And so he's saying for a person to come and move the boundary marker, to move a boundary stone, you're robbing somebody of the blessing of God in their life. It's evil, it's wrong to move a boundary stone. But for parents, we set the boundary lines. We set the parameters for our kids. We say, here's the rules, here's how we operate as a family, and the blessing of God is within those boundaries. The favor and blessing of your parents are in those boundaries boundaries. Stay within these borders and you'll enjoy blessing. But every child wants to test the limit. Every child wants to see if that stone can move or not. I was thinking, I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking about our dog, Reese. And don't let me offend you as parents that I'm making an analogy to my dog with your kids, but I have kids too. And we, we put a bell on our back door 
so that when our dog has to go out, she just rings the bell instead of barking at us. And so it works great. She rings the bell. We get up. We go open the door. She goes outside. But sometimes she doesn't have to go to the bathroom. Sometimes she just wants to bark at the neighbor because he's mowing the lawn. Or a rabbit is under our deck. So we're sitting at the dinner table, and she rings the bell, and we get up. I open the door. I let her out. She barks. I bring her back in. No, we're not doing that. Don't do that. That's bad. No. Sit back down. She goes right back to the door. She rings the bell. Then, then Day gets up, and she hears the bell, and she goes over, and she opens the door, and she lets the dog out, and the dog starts barking. She goes out, no, 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 stop doing that. We're not doing that. Get in this house. And we get in the house. We sit back down at the dinner table, and Reese goes right back to the bell. She rings the bell. Macy hears it. She gets up. She goes over. She opens the, And then it happens again with Mally. And I realize something. This dog has trained us. Like we just hear a bell and involuntarily we get up. We drop what we're doing. We walk to the back door. We just let the dog out. And she's, she's trained us now to just open the door. The Duke of Wellington said this. He said, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way parents obey their children. Some, some parents parent that way. You never actually put your foot down. You say you're going to put your foot down. If you do that again, it means nothing. One more time, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to count real slow. Take a long time getting there, and nothing's going to happen when I get to one, but I'm going to count to three. And, and what we keep moving the boundary stone. And, and sometimes the, the damage that's done is, you know, you tell your kid, don't do it, and they do it. Don't do it, and they do it. Don't do it, and they do it. So then you start going, okay, if you don't do it, I will give you a cookie. And we actually are training them. That persistent rebellion leads to reward. So you know you're going to break down and give them the cookie. Just tell them the first time, I'm going to give you a cookie if you behave. If you don't, I'm going to give you a cookie on Wednesday, but not Sunday. You're going to have to wait three days. (laughs) And then when Wednesday comes and they don't want a cookie, you just show up and you give them a nice cookie. Isn't this great? Oh, thank you. It's great. Thank you for the cookie. And you go, now I wanted to give you that three days ago. But you didn't listen to me. (laughs) But you understand how if we keep moving the boundary stones, we can frustrate our kids. Homer Phillips said, the time to start correcting the children is before they start correcting you. You got to put your foot down. I don't mean in an authoritarian way. I mean in a way that actually gives them parameters for blessing to no success. I was sitting at a football game Friday night with several from the church here, and there was a couple calls that were terrible calls. Now, we were, we were getting destroyed in the game anyway. Like, we had no chance of winning. So I was like, eh, you know, that one call didn't matter. But you would have thought it mattered. You would have you'd been amazed to see the righteous indignation that rose up in our crowd when that call went bad. Why? Because we all get frustrated with injustice. Like, just, just tell me the Just play by the rules. I don't care if I get my tail kicked. Just let me play by the same rules, right? Don't move the boundary stones. Let me give you the third thing. You got to open your hand. You got to open your hand. It starts with caring about the things that matter most. It starts with the heart. Then we develop our convictions. 
as we take our stand. Then you have to open your hand. Isn't this what it's like with parenting? Like when your kids are little, you, you hold them tight, you hold them close, you know. You listen for every little sound they make. And, and then as they get older, as they get more mature, as they get ready, you, you, you get to the place where you release them. The challenge and the art of parenting is knowing how to go from here to here. Not too quickly, not too slowly, but that's the battle, isn't it? Some parents, they, they just they open their hand way too quick. They believe the fallacy of modern psychology that says, don't influence your kids' decisions too much. Let them make up their own minds. And, and, and to, to the nth degree of, of idiocracy, we see people actually saying, don't, don't pick a gender for your child yet. Let them decide. And I know that's the most extreme example. But we play that back, and some of us have bought into this Dr. Spock mentality that we don't want to infringe on our kids' decision-making or impose our convictions on them. There was a well-known writer that had a friend over, and this other guy was, he had kind of bought into that philosophy of child-rearing. He said, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to impose my beliefs on my kids. I just want to let them kind of figure it out. I want them to do their own thing and become their own person, and, and, and I don't want to limit them by, by, you know, giving them all of my convictions and beliefs. And so the author thought about that for a second, and he said, come outside. I want to show you something. So he took him out into his yard. He said, come around the side of the house. I want you to see my garden. And so they go around the side of the house, and, and he gets there, and, and the guy sees that, and he goes, that's not a garden. That's just weeds. You got weeds growing up everywhere all over the place. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. That's my garden. But what you have to understand is I didn't want to infringe on the liberties of the garden and tell it how to grow or what to grow. So I, I, I wanted to give the garden a chance to express its own self and produce what it wanted. So that's, that's my garden. How many of you know parenting is like gardening? We have to cultivate some things. Cultivation is a process. It's a process. It doesn't, it doesn't happen, you know, because they come to youth group for an hour and a half on a Thursday night or, you know, because they went away to a kid's camp or a vacation Bible school. We cultivate over time. That's what it was talking about in Deuteronomy 6 when he says these things that are supposed to be on your heart first. Then verse 7 says impress them on your children. How do you do that? He says you talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You tie them as symbols on your hands. You bind them on your foreheads. You write them. In other words, these truths are always on the forefront of your mind. You write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. It just never ceases to amaze me. I, I see parents that get their kids up five days out of the week. They send them to school for seven or eight hours a day so that they can excel in academics and so that they can achieve and be successful. And then the weekend comes and, and they say, well, I don't want to make them go to church. I want it to be their choice. Math isn't their choice. Algebra isn't their choice. You're going to get up and you're going to go to school and you're going to be in the house of God because this is my house. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And one of these days, I'm going to let go. And when I do, my prayer is that it is your choice. 
But I'm not leaving that to chance. I'm putting the lattice work in place. I'm laying the rows. I'm planting the seeds. I'm cultivating the earth so that one day when I release them, they're like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. We can't let them go too quickly. But we also can't let them go too slowly. Some parents hold on too tight for too long, and and Paul talked about that in Ephesians 6. In verse 4, here's what he said. He said, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That word exasperate means provoke to anger. Do not frustrate your kids. Do not provoke them to anger. And one of the ways that we can do that is by, by not by not releasing them enough, by holding on so tightly that we, that we choke out the individuality and the life of Christ in them. It's very practical, this verse. Look at it. He says that you got to receive training and instruction. Kids, In other words, kids need to know the boundaries. They need to know where the boundary stones are. They need to have consistent rules. They need to know how to win or lose the game in your home. But he says make sure you're bringing them up in the training and instruction, not beating them down with it. You're lifting them. In other words, don't be so rigid that they become overwhelmed with unnecessary demands. There's a difference between having behavioral rules and in trying to make your kids think your thoughts. We exasperate our kids when we expect them to think our thoughts. It's right to have clearly defined boundaries. It's wrong to have footprints that you have to step in. We've all seen kids do that before, right? Following their dad on the beach or, or in the snow. And, you know, they, they try to do that. It's fun and it's cute when they're little. But that's not sustainable. That's exhausting after a while. And if every time they don't step the way you step or think the way you think or react the way you react, if you retaliate, you're going to exasperate your kids. Because God has created them uniquely informed it with individuality and, and personality, and that needs to be cultivated, and that's the dance of parenthood, isn't it? Like, I want to hold them tightly, and I, I want to let them go, but I don't want to let them go too quick, and I don't want to hold on too long. Kids are like apple trees. I, I read that apple trees don't actually produce apples until the seventh year. Everybody wants a seven-year-old apple tree. Nobody wants a two-year-old, right? And with kids, we've got to cultivate we can't just be like, oh, well, I heard this sermon this week. Things are going to be different here. Starting now. Putting my foot down. Like, good luck with that. Right? we got to cultivate. I hear parents are like, you don't understand. My kids are so frustrating. You, you don't know what it's like in my house. Well, cultivate them until you like them. Like, they're your kids. I want to end in praying for us today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And, you know, I've spoken about a lot of different things here, but the Bible says this in Psalm 127, verse 3. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are a reward from Him. Can I just remind somebody today, your children are God's reward to you. They're a blessing 
And God has given us an incredible responsibility to care about the things that matter the most more than we care about the things that matter most to the neighbors. He said, let these things be on your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Let it be on your heart, and then impress them on your kids. Establish convictions, spiritual convictions, but also familial convictions. It's just not, we just don't do that in this house. But they let them do it. It's not, I don't live in their house. We have convictions. Be consistent and cultivate the work that God is doing in the next generation. As a church, we want to do that. We want to do that. I, I, I'm just old enough now that when I go to the youth events, I'm like, yeah, I don't really like this music. I'm like getting there now. You know what I mean? Not all of it. I've got a pretty broad taste, but some of it I'm like, yeah, this is terrible. Like, whoa. It's happening. But this church isn't about my desires, not about my preferences, not about my taste. If we see God gain all this ground and we get all this land and we lose our legacy, we lose. One generation away from extinction as the people of God. We've got to have a vision and a mission that's bigger than our lifetime. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Whether you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a student, can I ask you to do something? Can we just open our hands up to the Lord? That last point was open, open your hand. I, it's just a great signal of surrender to the Lord. Would you just make an altar right where you're standing? Father, I, you see your church right now, Lord. We're standing with hands open, hearts yielded. Lord, we submit ourselves to the authority of your word. And Lord, we acknowledge we, we're not the best. We're not the greatest. Sometimes we're not even good. But God, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to fill our lives to overcome our inadequacies. Thank you, Lord, that it's by the power of the Spirit we can take our stand in a culture that is on a slippery slope of immorality. God, let your Spirit put steel in our spine and resolve in our hearts. God, let us, as men and women, get a bulldog grip on our convictions today. And God, would you by your spirit give us the wisdom and the discernment to lead the next generation to Christ-likeness, to godliness, to spirit empowerment. God, we pray in Jesus' name. You've done it before, and you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can do it again. In fact, could we just let that be our prayer for this moment? In whatever situation or station you find yourself in life, can we just begin to declare what we sang earlier? God's promises still stand. He is faithful. Let's speak that over our families. Speak it over our homes. Speak it over our church.